Okay, we are in John chapter 12, continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. This is, again, this is, we're still in Monday, uh, the Monday of his last week of life. He's going to be crucified on a Friday, and, and we're in that Monday, so we've wor- worked on through to this point. There's still a lot to cover because a lot of the Gospels uh, uh, talk about this part, so uh, about this last week of his life and spend a lot of time on it. And, and what we're going to do is, is, is we're going to pick up reading in chapter 12, verse 32. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but I wanted to uh, drop in a, a new thought here. In verse 32 of John chapter 12, it says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And what we discussed last week is that this is a direct answer to the question of the, of the Jewish Hebrew, uh, of, of the Greeks who had converted to Judaism and they wanted to see Jesus and they had spoken to Philip and, and then Philip went and, and told Andrew and they came and petitioned Jesus. That's the answer. Jesus said, not now am I going to address those Greeks, but as soon as I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men. But here's something else. You know, I've often wondered, what is it about the power of the gospel? What is it? that makes this message of the Gospel such that people hear it and they're drawn. If you think about it, that a man dies on a cross for the sins of another. What is so compelling about this message? You know, G.K. Chesterton put it this way. One of the things that drew G.K. Chesterton to the Lord, so that you, you understand how great a man Chesterton was, it was his book that caused C.S. Lewis to come to the Lord. So, so G.K. Chesterton said, if I had to think of a story, if I had to think of a story that demonstrated God's love, I could not think of a better story to demonstrate God's love for people than God sending His Son to die for them. You know, how do you demonstrate your love for another? But this story... Why is it that it causes men and women to fall on their knees and change their lives? What is it that's happening? Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to Myself. But He was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which He was to die. So He was indicating that He was going to be lifted up in death as He was on the cross. But He says, If I am, I will draw all men To myself, there is something of the presence of God that happens when that story is told. When we are told of a man dying on the cross for us, God sending His Son, and that man rising then from the dead, it is that story. If you just think about it just at the human level, it's a ridiculous story that there should be a resurrection. What is it about the resurrection? What is it about this story that causes men to just change their lives as a result? It's because there's the power of God that draws people. It is because there is truth in this message. It has exactly happened this way. But God has causes, causes people to be drawn. So that when we give this gospel message, it's not just... Oh, some, some niceties that we're saying, a, a nice little story. There's the power of God that is working to draw people. It's the power of God as it was in this time. And this is why, as we read down last time, 
It, it says, uh, uh, Jesus talked about the light and he said, start seeking the light while I'm here. And then if we, we look now in uh, verse 36 of John chapter 12, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Jesus performed so many signs. And this is what I'm saying. If you think that just because you see a sign, then you'll believe. No, many people saw signs. These folks saw sign after sign. He was healing so many people, doing so many great things. And still they didn't come. And people say, well, if God just showed me a sign, then I would come. That's a lie. They don't know it themselves, but it is a lie because so many people have seen signs and you explain it away. Oh, it just happened to happen that way or just, you know, explain it away. But there were all these signs and so it is a, it is a willful unbelief. There is a willful unbelief that these people have now taken hold of. Jesus said, I'm drawing. The message is here. I've done signs. I've ministered. I've spoken. And now it has come to the point in these people's lives where it is a willful unbelief, a willful disobedience. And then it says in verse 38, This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and He has hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because He saw His glory and He spoke spoke of Him. So you say, so, so it says here that He, meaning God, has blinded their eyes and He's hardened their heart. But God didn't do this from the beginning. When there is a willful unbelief, this is exactly what we covered last time, further up, Jesus said, while the light's with you, believe in the light, because the light's not going to be with you much longer. And then right away it says, and Jesus went away and hid himself from them. We have opportunities in life, but if we willfully reject, willfully turn, what happens is our hearts become hardened and we become more and more blinded. I know a, a person who's very dear to me, and, and uh, I was sharing with him for years. And, uh, um, you know, he was coming, he was very close, but then at each point he'd, he'd just turn it away. And now, he's just so far from the truth, it's as if his eyes have been totally blinded, because God hardens the heart according to the pattern. If we yield to the Lord, there is openness, and the Lord draws us closer. But if we don't yield to Him and His Word... We drift away. It is a willful disobedience, a willful choice not to receive. And the same thing happens in the life of the believer. It's not just in the unbeliever. The life of the believer, we read the Word of God and God touches our heart and points out something in our lives that we need to address. And we just, well, yeah, yeah, I I know I ought to do that. And we just put it aside. The Lord will speak again. The thought will come back again. And we say, yes, I need to deal with that. But after a while, that voice, that touch becomes lighter and lighter. And we hear it less and less. And we start moving away from the will of God. And problems start coming. You you know, I I know men who have, 
you know, I've talked with them about their marriage and things that they were doing in their marriage and how wrong it was. And they, they willfully put up boundaries. And what's happened is these men have been turned away from the truth because of their own hearts. This willful disobedience, this willful unbelief, and their heart becomes strengthened in it. That's why it's a dangerous thing when Jesus, when the Word of God is brought before us, that we need to accept it. It's not something that we could say, oh, well, that's nice, maybe next week, or maybe next month, or maybe when I'm done with school. No, because our hearts become hardened. Jesus said, today, behold, today is the day of salvation. He didn't say, oh, well, just wait for tomorrow, or next week is fine too. You know, if, if, you know what's the rush? Wait till next week. It's all right. You want to wait till next week? That's what Jesus never said that. He said it's today. If you've not received the Lord, receive Him. Don't let this day slip by. Today is the day of salvation. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart and He wants to deal with something in your life, yield to the Lord. Say, God, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Help me to walk according to Your Word and let not my heart be hardened against You. This is what he says. He says that he's, okay, you want to close your eyes? I'll blind your eyes. You want, to, you want to close your heart? I'll harden your heart and make it even more closed. Because the light comes. And if we don't accept the light, the light begins to draw away. And all God has to do, it's not like He has to grind our face. All He has to do is begin to lift His hands from us a little bit. And there's enough dastardly nonsense in our lives to draw us very much astray. But he's quoting from the book of Isaiah when he says, he, he, he says um, uh, in, in verse 38, where he says, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So I want to read a little bit from the prophet Isaiah. So turn to Isaiah 52. The end of Isaiah 52. We're going to turn to Isaiah 52, verse 13. This is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And Isaiah had a lot to say telling us about what the Messiah, Jesus, would be like. You know, there are things revealed about the Messiah, Jesus, in the Old Testament that are never revealed in the New Testament. Things and practices about His life that are never revealed. But there are some things that are revealed in the Old Testament that are then demonstrated in the New Testament. And this is Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. So, so there are these things that are, are revealed in the Old Testament and then we see them in the New Testament. And this is a portion, this is a portion that most Jews never hear. You say, well, why not? It's, it's, it's in their Tanakh, which is what we call the Old Testament, but their Bible, which they call the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. Their order of scriptures is different. The first five books are the same, but their order of scripture is different, but the scriptures are the same. Because they will read from, from uh, uh, each year, they will, they will read the entire uh, law of Moses, the, the first five books of the Bible. They will read those. You'll hear that in, in, in the uh, synagogue. And it doesn't matter what synagogue in the world you go to, they're reading from the same portion. And then they will underscore that portion from readings from the Psalms and the other prophets. But this is a portion that they skip. And most Jews don't even know. No, no, we read the whole thing. But no, they've never read this. I sit with Jews in Israel. And I say, let's read the end of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 together. Oh yeah, I've read that before. I said, okay. And so I, I'll open it up and I'll, start, and I'll start reading. And so they don't have, I'll start reading. And they go, uh, 
you're reading from your New Testament. I said, no, I'm reading from your Tanakh. Now, you get your Hebrew Bible, I'll read it in English, and we'll read it together. And I've sat with Orthodox Jews, and as we're reading, one man said to me, he said, we, we read Isaiah 52, we got into Isaiah 53, halfway through it, and he said, enough. The guy just couldn't take it. And I said, do you see how one could read that and walk away and say, that is a picture of the Messiah who, who, who later came? And that Messiah being Jesus, it is so characteristic of what happened to Jesus. And if you say, oh, that, that uh, uh, the New Testament, that, that uh, the Old Testament was modified just to make it look like it happened to Jesus. We know, we've, we've found the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls are documented to be, were written before the birth of Jesus. We have found those in the 1930s. And this portion is clearly there. And so it wasn't some, some postscript added after the life of Jesus into the prophet Isaiah. No, this is very much there. So we're going to read Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Look at that. It says that this this servant of God who's going to come, this Messiah, his form is going to be marred more than any man. If you've seen uh, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ and, and these movies, and you see the scourging that Jesus went through, this is nothing compared to what it really was. It says his appearance was marred more than any man. I mean, just unrecognizable as a man, how much his body was shredded. His form more than the sons of men. This tells us, what the scourging, the intensity of the scourging was going to be. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, in verse 15. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. So he's going to sprinkle many nations. Again, this is a prophecy in the Old Testament, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. This is a prophecy saying he's going to touch many nations beyond just Israel. This was new to them. They thought, why would, why would the Messiah want to go to a nation beyond Israel? I mean, they're just heathens anyway. This is the promise. When it speaks of other nations, it means all nations. It means all the Gentile nations way beyond Israel. He's going to sprinkle all the nations with His blood. It says, kings will shut their mouths on account of Him. This is a powerful verse. You know, there are, there are instances where I have been in meeting with very famous people. And, and there's, there's always this presumption that this famous person is sitting in this position and, and the people around them are sitting somewhat lower. Politicians and people who are, who, who are in the aristocracies. And I'll mention something. I'll say, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And boom! They're just immediately taken off guard. And I remember I was sitting once in... Uh, um, and, and this is, he's a friend of mine, so you can ask him about it. This was in Bob McNair's house. So Bob McNair owns the Houston Texans. He paid, this, this was uh, uh, 10 years, 14 years ago. 14 years ago, I was sitting in his home. And he paid $750 million for the Houston Texans and $550 million for Reliant Stadium. And I told him, that's, that's, that's $1.25 billion for a good seat at a football game. But anyway, I was sitting in his home. It was our first meeting. We were talking a little bit, and it was just me and him 
and his banker and his butler. And, and, and we talked business for a while. And then I said, Bob, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And he just paused for a moment. And it's just like this says, kings will shut their mouths on account of him. He said, I think I do. I said, well, now let me tell you what Jesus Christ can do in, in the life of a person. And so for one hour, I walked around his library and he was sitting there and his, his, his banker was like, you know, just with his mouth wide open and I just talked about the power of God. And then we, he walked me out to my car and at the time, I, I had a, a minivan and it wasn't a new minivan. I always got this car which Shireen got done with. So she would raise four children in this car for like seven years and then I would get the car and, and so it was a disaster. The car was just falling apart. There was a big hole in the muffler and it was just terrible. And he said, I'll walk you out to your car and I'm like, uh, you don't want to walk me out. No, no, I'll go out with you. And, he, and, and that's when he told me that he was, he was going to, uh, you know, just how much this had impacted him and we've been friends ever since. But um, kings shut their mouths on account of him. And I've had this in many other situations. When you mention the name of Jesus, people stop. Because in that name, there is such power. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Now turn to uh, Isaiah 53. <clears throat> These are the first two verses of the verses we just read out of, out of, uh, uh, out of John. So in Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is just as we had read out of uh, um, uh, John. He says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. It says, He, Jesus, grew up before the Father like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. This is speaking of the root of Jesse. It says in Isaiah chapter 11, it talks about how out of the root of Jesse. Remember, Jesse had a, had a son named David. David was king. And out of that kingly line, Jesus was to come. And that's exactly where he came. Out of that kingly line, through Mary, not through Solomon, but through, through, uh, 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 through, through David's son, Nathan, and then down through Mary. This is the, the line of Jesus. And you see that this line, it says that he came out of this root. This is the root that it's speaking of, this root of Jesse that it speaks about in, in, in Isaiah chapter 11. Because by that time, by the time the New Testament had come around, the whole thing had been cut off. There was no kingship line from David anymore. But out of that very root came Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. So, so let's look at the latter part of verse 2 of Isaiah 53. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. If you think Jesus was this great European handsome looking man that you see in all the movies, it wasn't that. It says that He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. The Bible does speak about physical appearance. And generally it speaks about physical appearance when you're on an extreme. It says Abigail was a very beautiful woman. It talks about her beauty. It says David was a handsome young man. It says King Saul was handsome and head and shoulders tall above his countrymen. So on the extremes of beauty or handsomeness, it talked about people in this way. 
talked about Eglon, Eglon the king. It says he was a fat man, so fat that when the dagger was put in him, the fat closed over the end of the dagger. I mean, it talked about things on the extreme. Never said, and, and, uh, uh, and Isaiah was just a normal looking guy. It didn't, didn't talk about the normal. Only when people were on the extremes of beauty or ugliness did it talk about them. <clears throat> or if they were extremely old, it mentioned them. It mentioned, for example, I, uh, Eli was an old man and very heavy. And so that when he fell back and his head hit the ground, his neck broke. So it talked about... But here, it talks about something. It says, He had no stately form of majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing physically in Jesus that was attractive. So if you ever struggle with your physical appearance, that, oh, why couldn't I you know, be a little bit taller? Why couldn't I be a little bit more handsome? Why couldn't I be more beautiful? Why couldn't my hair be blonde? Why? Just remember, there was nothing physically in Jesus that drew people to Him. And in fact, I have heard Messianic Jewish scholars say that Jesus may well have been five foot four with crooked teeth. There was nothing. There was nothing that you would look at Him and say, yeah, I want to be like him. Yeah, he's a football player. I want to be like him. All the kids go, yeah, I, I, you, know, you know, Jesus is my superhero. None of that. You see, none of that in the Bible. There was nothing physically that was attractive in Jesus. He had no stately form of majesty. He didn't just walk in strutting. He's just a normal guy. And then it says, so there was no appearance that we should be attracted to him. Verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. So what's the other characteristic about Jesus? He was despised and forsaken of men. You think, oh, Jesus had all... He was the life of every party, surrounded by all friends. No, he was despised and forsaken of men. Remember, it was the religious leaders that were sitting there and always murmuring about him. He was despised and forsaken of men. That men wanted nothing to do with him. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do you have sorrows? Do you have grief in, li in life? You're not alone. Jesus had them. You are not alone. Do you struggle with something in life? You're not alone. Jesus knows your struggles. Jesus knows the pain that you go through. Jesus knows your be bewilderment. Are you unmarried, wishing you were married? Jesus was unmarried. Jesus knows what it's like to be unmarried. What is your struggle? What is your pain? Jesus knows that. I don't know people's pain. I don't know it. My own set of pain. I don't know what people go But Jesus knows. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do you go through grief? Have you lost people that mean a lot to you? Jesus lost people that mean a lot, meant a lot to Him. We have no account of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, beyond the time that Jesus was about 12 years old. No account. So he lost his father. Jesus lost his cousin, John the Baptist. It says that when that happened, Jesus just wanted to get off and pray. I mean, had to have some time alone. Do you know grief? Jesus knows your grief. Jesus knows your sorrow. Jesus knows your pain. And then it says... And like one from whom men hide their face, 
He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now, some people haven't liked me in my life, but I don't think I've ever been despised. Now, and like one from whom men hide their face, it wasn't like you hide your face out of fear. It's like, oh, come on. You just walk away. All of us have felt this pain. Let me, let me tell you an, instant, an instance in my life that I remember very vividly. We were in college, and there was this, this uh, party in college, and, and, uh, um, and I was standing there with some of my friends, and, and uh, there was this very attractive young lady walked up, and she was talking, and obviously all the guys wanted to kind of talk to her. And I said, I, I don't even know what I said. I just chimed into the conversation. And she looked at me like this, like... And just looked at me like, you're so worthless, and turned away. Now, she didn't say that, but just the look. And whether that was her real look or not, that's the way it was perceived by me. And I still feel that pain today. I do. You laugh. But I still feel that pain today. And all of us have felt that pain sometime in childhood, sometime in adulthood. And guess what? You'll never forget it. Because those things leave such impressions. That sort of pain, when one looks at you, just turns away in disgust like, oh, you're worthless. Am I the only one who's ever experienced that pain? Has anyone here ever experienced that sort of pain and remember the incident? We can never forget it. Because the pain is so real. It says, He was like one from whom men hide their face. The Bible documents that this happened to Jesus all the time. People were so turned off by some of the things that He said. He knows what that pain is like. If you are suffering from that pain, if you are suffering where you've had, say, you've gone through, say, a divorce, and someone whom you loved has so rejected you, Someone whom you loved has so rejected you and you've experienced that pain. Then you know. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus went through that pain. And it said, surely our griefs He Himself bore. In verse 4. Our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. What does that mean? It means when we go through a time of grieving, guess what we can do? Jesus said, I'll take it. You come to the foot of the cross. What do you do? You bring your pains, you bring your sorrows, you bring your grief, and you lay it at the foot of the cross, and Jesus takes that and He carries it right onto the cross. And what does He do? He takes His joy, He takes His love, He takes His Spirit, and He dumps it upon us. How's that for a swap? That's what He does. It says, our grief He Himself bore. You have pain, learn to take your pain and cast it upon Jesus. When I experience things in my life, I just want to get alone with my Jesus. And I say, Lord, carry my griefs. Carry my pains, I pray Thee. Carry my pains. And it does. Jesus said, this is my job. This is what I came for. This is what I'm good at. <clears throat> I'll take it to the cross. The sorrow that we have. If you, if you carry this pain, this loss of a loved one, say, what do you do? Where do you go to? It says, our sorrow, He carried. Learn to turn it over to Jesus. This is the model of what we're talking about. We read in John's Gospel, chapter 12, it's quoting from Isaiah 53. This is the quote, Isaiah 53. This is where we're drawn to. 
This is the life of Jesus. This is the one whom he rejected. This is all the rejection that it's talking about. It's right here. It's prophesied. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. I mean, so much of our sorrows he carried. But, you know, people just, just reject him and say, turn him over to suffer. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. That is written 700 years before the life of Jesus Christ. That is the prophecy of the life of Jesus Christ. And if you think, no, that, that was written after Jesus. You are totally wrong. So wrong. It is, it is, it is almost humiliating to have to address it. How sophomoric an attitude that is. You can check the records. This was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Look at the picture. He was pierced through for our transgressions. How much clearer could God be about the prophecy about how Jesus is going to die? He is pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. Every good thing in our life, it comes because the things that we really deserve were dumped upon Him. And by His scourging, remember the scourging that shredded His body? Each one of those whippings that He got, each one, by His scourging, we are healed. We are healed because of that. Verse 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. You know, if you ask a Jew about this today, and you say, isn't that a prophecy of the Messiah? Many of them will say, no, that's a prophecy about Israel. That thought of its being a prophecy about Israel only came long after the life of Jesus when so many Jews were becoming followers of Jesus. If you read the writings of the rabbis prior to the life of Jesus, they always said that this is the life of the Messiah. Moreover, I point out to them, I say, so... so since when has Israel been silent before its shearers and never opened its mouth? Tell me. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, and, I, and, I, and I speak to them in that way because I'm a fellow Jew with them. So, so it, this is clearly a prophecy about Jesus. Verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? For his generation... Nobody received this. The only, there were only a few at the foot of the cross, and there were all women except for one person, and that was John. So, so uh, the, uh, the Apostle John came back to the foot of the cross after fleeing, and the rest of them were just women at the foot of the cross. Foot of the cross. They knew. Verse 9, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet with a rich man in his death. Where was Jesus Buried? He was buried in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea. He was buried in a rich man's grave. I mean, look at the prophecy of this. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself a guilt offering. He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. 
And you can read the rest of this chapter on your own, but it's so powerful about the life of Jesus Christ and what's rejected. And this is what it talks about in, cha- verse, in chapter 12 of John. It says, this very one who is about to do all these things. Remember, this, it's a Monday and he's going to be crucified on a Friday. And he's going to be raised from the dead the, that, that Sunday. Just within one week of all this happening, Jesus is describing to them. And they are rejecting him over and over again. Now, the whole thing comes back to us. What about us? So rather than pointing fingers at other people and and saying, boy, if I had only been there, I wouldn't have rejected them. That's probably not true. Even his disciples ran from him. What does it mean for us? When the word of God speaks to us, will we receive it? Will we take it seriously? And if you read the word of God, The Word of God will speak to you. In power, it will speak to you. And the question is, what will I do with this? And if you haven't received Jesus in your life, I ask of you, don't keep closing off your heart or else your heart will become hardened. And after a while, you say, why do I even go to that class and listen to this guy? It's always the same message. Well, I have no better message. It is always the same. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Don't reject it. Receive Him this day. Say, Lord, come into my life this day. Come into my life this day. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life this day. Because if you keep closing off your heart, your heart will become hardened and your eyes will become blinded and there will be no coming back. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. Lord, thank You for what You did, how You bore our sorrows, You bore our grief, that You know what it's like to have others turn their faces away from us in disgust. And You invite us to take our griefs and lay them upon You. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for these young people. Lord, I pray for those here who don't know You, who've never received Jesus. Father, I pray that You would draw them. You would draw them to Jesus. And right now, they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life. And Father, for those who read Your Word and know that the Lord is speaking to them, to do something. Lord, I pray that they would not harden their hearts, lest this voice become dimmer and dimmer. Lord, I pray that You so work and so move that in the name of Jesus Christ, that You would draw these people to Your Son to respond to Your Word. Pour out Your grace, O God. Pour out the grace of God. Father, I thank You for all Your grace and for all Your mercies. I commit these young people to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.